Well, good morning to you. It's uh, great to be back at Pinelands Baptist Church and uh, back in Pinelands. Um, I think the last time we were here in a, in a service was in 2008 when our son Jacques was ordained um, back then. But before that, we were members of the church until 2006, I remember, I think it was. Um, and we lived here in Pinelands for seven years. And uh, this morning I'm seeing and have seen some very familiar faces um, uh, from the seminary as well as from the church, and it's great to be back here. Um, just in case you don't know me or you have known me and you kind of wonder what happened to us since 2006, uh, for that year of 2006, actually, we were traveling a bit. Um, I finished uh, at the seminary and Lindsay took over in 2006, but for that one year, uh, we spent six months in San Francisco where I was teaching, and then... Uh, I also was interim pastor at Glenwood Community Church, or um, what was it called back then? Um, anyway, that's in Durban. So I was traveling back and forth from Durban to Cape Town while our second son finished his matric here in, in, at Pinelands High. Started at Rosebank Union Church uh, in 2007, and we were there for about eight years. I was on staff uh, as the pastor of discipleship, also heading up Rosebank Bible College. Uh, back then. Started itching to preach more and so looked around and for some reason, I don't know why, the Lord knows, uh, the doors in South Africa closed and so we ended up going to Bratislava in Slovakia and we were there for seven years uh, pastoring uh, a church, an international church. The main focus is expats, reaching expats uh, with the gospel and so the church is in English. Uh, in a Slovak environment, we never uh, learned much Slovak. It's a very, very difficult language, very close to Greek uh, in terms of structure and grammar. Um, but the purpose was to reach out to expats, so the ministry was all in English. And um, uh, very, very interesting uh, uh, experience. I think part of the, probably the biggest challenge um, in a church like that is the fact that people come and go all the time. And so just to give you an idea, the first year we reached about 70 in attendance on a Sunday, and the next year we lost half of those people who moved away. Literally half of the active members of the church moved uh, to different places. They finished their jobs or contracts or they just moved on. So you have a, a, a small core of people, mostly cross-cultural marriages, people who married Slovaks, uh, and they live in Bratislava. And if you don't know where it is, I won't blame you. Um, we had to go and look on a map uh, when I first heard the word, and it's about 40 minutes away from Vienna. So it's on the Danube River, uh, but it's the capital, it's ex-communist area, and so it was very interesting being there. And even then, even after so many years of, of being part of the EU, European Union, uh, using the euro, uh, Schengen area, uh, there were still many, many changes happening. Right now, Slovakia shares a, a short little border with uh, the Ukraine, um, so obviously a lot of people are coming into, the, uh, from, uh, into Slovakia as well as in the rest of Europe uh, from the Ukraine. In August, uh, actually at the end of June in 2021, after a tough few years of COVID, uh, we decided to retire. So we, right now we live in Kleinmont. 
um, and uh, already we've, we've spent last year three months in Bremen in uh, Germany doing another interim pastorate. Uh, churches like that really are desperate, desperately looking for pastors because they're in a foreign environment, they need an English-speaking pastor, and so they need to source those from England and Europe, uh, England and America and South Africa and Australia, wherever. So it takes them quite a long time to actually find a pastor. And this is exactly what happened to the church in Bremen. They're still looking for a pastor. I'm, I'm assisting them um, on, online, uh, sometimes with their pastor search uh, process. And so that gives you a little bit of a, a brief history. Um, our children, Jacques and Christy, uh, they were both members here. In fact, all our children were members here, but Jacques and Christy with two children live in Luxembourg in Europe. Uh, we saw them over Christmas. They've been there for about 10 years now, I think. And then um, our son, Pierre, and his wife, also two children, live in Johannesburg. Uh, and our daughter, Rosanne, and her husband, they just had a baby, uh, four, four and a half months old now. And uh, they also live in Joburg. So here we are in, in the Western Cape area, and we don't even have our children close to us. Um, but it's great to be back at, at Pinelands, and um, I want to share God's word with you. So uh, let's just uh, pray together. Father, we thank you for memories. We thank you for all that you have done for us. And even as we celebrate communion this morning, it's another reminder, another part of history that reminds us of who you are and what you have done for us. And as we continue to look a little bit at history, as we remind ourselves uh, of what you have done and uh, what you are doing and what you want to do in our own lives, I pray that you would bless your word as we share it together and share our time of fellowship, especially around the communion. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to share you a little bit about um, Daniel's story, which we know very, very well. I, I know we know it very well, so I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but it comes mostly from Daniel chapter 1. And uh, so if you want to follow with me, Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. And it's about having that resolve that we find um, in the life of Daniel. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylon and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians, the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among these were some, of Ju some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, 
and to Azariah Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief officials for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the God whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat, water to drink, and so forth. And we know the story. At the end of ten days, verse 15, they looked healthier and better nourished. Verse 17, to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. Verse 21, and Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. I think uh, 2023 presents us with many, many challenges. Um, I can mention the name ESCOM, and I think we, we all immediately know it's not just a 2023 challenge, um, but it certainly is a challenge that we have had for many years now, and the last year and the last month and last few weeks have been worse than any other than we have probably seen. I, I noticed that it even affected the lights on the cross here uh, back. Um, but we're all affected and directly affected by the failure of ESCOM. Um, whatever caused it, uh, some corruption, combination of lack of maintenance or vision or foresight or whatever, uh, it's all there and, and I, I know if we get together for a meal or a braai or whatever, it's probably one of the first items on the agenda when we start chatting uh, to one another because we're all affected by that. And whatever your view of that is, uh, I think we, uh, we can be very negative, but we can also see some positives uh, in what happens to us. So apart from uh, struggling to keep the batteries charged um, and claiming from uh, insurance because some things are giving in or giving up, um, it is a reminder that life is seldom just smooth. Um, we all face many, many challenges and difficulties. A couple of prayer requests we had here this morning as a reminder of the fact that life is not just moonshine and roses, not always just healthy and wealthy. There are challenges, there are issues, there are problems that we all face. Just think about the food prices. Um, more recently, the gas and oil prices around the world because of the Ukraine war um, has seen a massive increase in petrol price, uh, which affects all of us, ultimately, even if it's just a ripple effect uh, eventually. But also on a personal level, um, there, are, there are health issues that we face, and especially as we get older, we need glasses and we need to pay for them or pay for the uh, optrician or whatever. And there are relationship issues. Um, relationships fail uh, often, and we have to deal with that. Maybe there is loss, job loss, loss, health loss, or even loss of a, of a family member. And these things pose massive challenges for all of us. But, you know, as I think about my own life, and, and I think we have it fairly 
okay in terms of the way we live our lives, the way we, in what we have in life. And I compare that with many others around the world, and even in our own country, and even on our doorstep, we have so much, so much to be grateful for. But, but even then, I don't think anything can really compare to what the Jews in exile uh, went through when that happened to them. And this is the backdrop uh, to what we see here in Daniel. In other words, if we look at the example of Daniel here, uh, we, can, we can find and learn a bit of some of the struggles that he faced. Um, in terms of background, Israel and Judah suffered several attacks from empires around. I think when I was growing up um, in Sunday school, I always thought that Israel was the world and everything revolved around Israel. It was a bit of a shock uh, when I grew up and then eventually, especially when I started studying, to find out that Israel was a very tiny uh, little bit of the world um, that is described in the Bible. In fact, when you read the Bible from that perspective, you begin to see some of the uh, happenings, the historical happenings around Israel, such as the Assyrian Empire, who um, became a, a massive empire around uh, Israel and attacked the northern kingdom and in 722 uh, demolished Samaria, the capital city of um, Israel, took most of those people or many of those people into exile and that particular um, uh, um, entity never really recovered from that. The, the Jewish um, country or the, the country of Judah, the kingdom of Judah, survived that particular attack. But in 612, the capital city of the Assyrians, Nineveh, fell to the Babylonians. And so the Babylonians came again and they needed to establish their authority around the world. And so in three successive attacks on Jerusalem and Judea, the Babylonians came, attacked Jerusalem, and every time took some people away into captivity, which was a philosophy or a policy back then. In other words, what you, can't, what you did was what I think to some extent what Russia tried to do with the Ukraine, and that is to come in, take Kiev, the capital, uh, remove Zelensky and the top echelon and replace them with their own and then rule the country at a distance. Now that's what the Babylonians and the Assyrians and the Persians ultimately also did. They came in, well not the Persians, sorry, the Assyrians and the Babylonians. They came in, took the top people away, the royalty, the government, and then render the country that is left behind useless and then replace them with your own people to rule that country. Daniel was in that first deportation in 605. The Babylonians came, attacked Jerusalem, and then took some of the people away. They did it again in 597, and then ultimately in 587-86, they came and demolished Jerusalem because of a rebellion in Judea. They, uh, they didn't want to submit to the Babylonians, and so they came, demolished Jerusalem and the temple and everything else, and took more people away into exile. Those people in exile survived for many, many, many thousands of, well, hundreds and hundreds of years later, uh, so that a whole Jewish community lived in Babylonia. Not everybody came back when Ezra and Nehemiah uh, or Zerubbabel initially came back to Jerusalem. So Daniel was in that particular group. 
And so that means that Daniel, being the first of those um, people being deported, faced challenges of his own on a personal level, not only just on a national level, but also on a personal level. Just let, let me highlight a few of those challenges that Daniel would have faced. The fact that he was forcibly removed from his home against his own will, which means that he's now uh, without his roots where he grew up and where he had a vision. And uh, the fact that he was now also away from his family and his home and, his, and, and, the, and the environment that he, that he knew so well. So uh, similar to those people who have fled the war in the Ukraine, now millions of people who are all over Europe and other countries trying to find a new home or at least wait until the war is over. And so away from the temple that was so dear to his own heart and where he wanted to worship God and where he was um, probably used to go and worship God and read scripture and, and listen to the word of God and to pray. Uh, that, first of all, he was removed and several years later that whole thing was de demolished uh, anyway. It is interesting in the passage we read how he was even given a new name by the foreign king, which is part of your identity. Uh, it is part of who you are, is your name. Uh, you wouldn't recognize me if I start using a different name. And so your name is attached to your identity. So by giving Daniel and his friends new names, it was like the, the foreign king was trying to change their whole background and environment and everything else. He was forced to serve the foreign king. And this was part of a, uh, an attempt to humiliate the people you've taken into captivity. But at the same time, if you could find people who are able-bodied, able in wisdom and understanding and governance, you could appoint them in your temple or in your, sorry, in your, in your government while your own soldiers are fighting wars all over the world, which is literally what happened with the Babylonians and all the other empires. And so they replace some of your own, but it's actually by force that you do so. You're not entirely a, or exactly a prisoner in a prison, but you are serving like 900 kilometers away by, by road back then from your home country to a, in, in a foreign king's court. They were forced to, to learn a new language, uh, to adopt a new culture. They were exposed to foreign gods. And now as we read also in this particular chapter, they were, they were basically forced to eat the food of the, the, the government at the time or the country of the, of the time. So the, even the dietary rules changed. And this is where Daniel started um, kind of kicking against that and saying he's, he's not particularly going to go along with all of that. But you can understand that he did not have a will of his own. He couldn't just dictate. He was a prisoner, essentially. He was an exile, and he was supposed to serve in the court of the king. So it's in this hostile environment that Daniel showed great character, remaining faithful to God, despite all the odds against him. And I believe that we can learn much from Daniel uh, by looking briefly at some of the characteristics that we find in this chapter, but also in the rest uh, of the book of Daniel. I believe the first one is uh, what I titled the sermon today, and that is resolve. Daniel had resolve. We read uh, that in verse 8. Daniel resolved 
not to eat the food. And that was, a, that was quite an interesting resolve because he actually had no choice. And the way Daniel went around that or about that, I think is where we can really learn much. Number one, there is a resolve. There is a, a firm decision. There is a determination not to go against that. I'm busy reading a, a biography of uh, Eric Liddell. I think that's the way you pronounce it, the, uh, the character of uh, Chariots of Fire. And it's interesting, something that probably many of us wouldn't necessarily feel strongly about today. But for him, participating in sport on a Sunday was just not right. It, was just go, it went against his conscience. And it's amazing to read the story of how he actually stood his ground on that. Even though the whole of Britain had their hopes on him to win the 100 meter uh, or 100 yard, what it was ever back then, um, for, for gold, he decided he's not going to participate on a Sunday. Uh, whether one agrees with that or not, and whether one even wants to agree with Daniel here or not, that's not the issue. Uh, the issue is that he had a resolve. And for him and his understanding, serving God meant keeping the laws of God. Part of that was the dietary laws, the kosher laws of Israel, of the Jews, which was so clearly spelled out in the word of God. And Daniel resolved that he was going to stick to that. I believe it goes back to a foundation that was laid in his life as he was growing up. His parents taught him as he probably got involved in government, uh, whether he was a priest or not, uh, he would have been exposed to that. And it would have been fairly easy for him to follow suit like we do. We're all here on a Sunday. We're here by agreement. Nobody is forcing us. Um, if we raise our hands or sing or read scripture or pray, nobody is looking strange at us because we, we, we're, in a, we're in, a, in a familiar environment. So back in Israel, in Jerusalem, Daniel was in a familiar environment. It was relatively easy to go along with the laws and the dietary laws and the rules of Sabbath and all that. Suddenly, Daniel is uprooted, taken out of that familiar environment. He's placed in an environment where he is forced to actually, what looks like, turn his back on God. In his heart, it would have been turning his back on God. And so it, it took huge amount of resolve to say, I'm not going to do this because everything is against him at the moment. So as I look at the challenge for each one of us, res re re um, resolving to serve God with our lives needs to go deep. It's not something I decide you know, every Sunday or now and again I'm going to serve God, or here at the beginning of the year, especially as we do New Year resolutions, you know, this year I'm going to serve God. Last year I failed too much. This year I'm going to do it. It's, it's more than that. It, it's something that goes deep. It is a resolve that touches every single aspect uh, of my life. And it, it asks for principles to be kept. It asks for a devotion to God. It asks for total single-mindedness in terms of I am a follower of Jesus Christ and I'm going to follow him with my life. Daniel, secondly, was consistent. We find that throughout here, but also all the way to chapter 6, um, the, the nice story about uh, Daniel and the lion's den 
uh, and several other places in Daniel. As you read right through the book, uh, it ends on a more prophetic and apocalyptic style. But as you read the story of Daniel throughout the book, there is, there is no deviation anywhere from this resolve. He was consistent uh, in terms of his dietary laws, in terms of his prayer life. That caused the whole issue with the lion's den. Uh, he would not turn away from what he resolved to do, and that is to serve God. According to his understanding and according to the rhythm that he was in, according to the laws of God, he, served, he put his head down and he's saying, I'm going to do this, regardless of a lion's den even waiting for me. He was going to do it. I'm sure Daniel didn't always have it all together. I'm sure he, he was, uh, like all of us, a sinful human being. But it, it is the consistency in his life that really strikes me and that speaks to me about my own life. And that's where the challenge comes in for each one of us. True, a true Christian character is not just a Sunday affair. It's wonderful to see you all in church this morning. It's wonderful as to join together in fellowship and worship. But it's tomorrow, and it's when I go to work, and it's when I drive my car, and it's when I relate to my family, and it's the way I, so I, I celebrate Christmas, and the way I go through every phase of this year, every week, every month, every year of my life. It is when I come to the end of my life and I can look back and say, I, I served God, I served the Lord Jesus with my life. That's the consistency that we find in Daniel that I believe we should be yearning to also do. But Daniel, thirdly, also earned respect. Uh, I find that quite interesting because resolving to do something, I'm not going to eat the king's food. It's like going on a protest and being shot like they do in Iran. Uh, you go on a protest, I'm, not, I'm against the government, and suddenly someone shoots you dead, and you know, there you are. Daniel didn't go on a protest. He followed a very different approach. He gained the respect of the people who were appointed over him, and Daniel knew his place. He was, a, he was essentially a prisoner. He was an exile, a deportee. He, he needed to subject and submit to the king and his authority. He was in a foreign country. He had no way of battling that. But he had another way, and that was the way of gaining and earning respect from the people who were appointed over him. And we see that very clearly here, how he earned the respect by showing the right attitude, the right behavior, and even respecting others, even the man who was appointed over them, he respected him that he was only doing his job. And he said, why don't you test us? Why don't you put us on a trial? And then we, you can decide afterwards what the outcome is. And so God was with Daniel, and we know the result. I'm sure that Asbanaz and those who were appointed over Daniel at the time remembered he, their encounter with Daniel. The king, as we see in this chapter, a bit later on, I didn't read all of that, but the king found him to be wise and insightful and actually ultimately appointed him to a higher position. So Daniel had a little bit of comfort that came his way as a result of the respect that he earned, even from the king. And they had, he had a reputation, gained a reputation as an interpreter of dreams and visions and so on. So he was called in regularly, Nebuchadnezzar's dream we read of, later on. 
So he, he, he was a man who gained the respect, even as a prisoner, even as an exile. He gained the respect of the people around him. Daniel's devotion to God therefore impacted his friends. Um, I'm sure the story that we also know well of the friends and the, uh, the burning oven and not wanting to bow to an idol. I, I'm sure Daniel somehow had an impact on them and they were friends together and so they were able to uh, impact one another. And he gained a, rep a reputation of someone who can be trusted right at the end uh, when, when Belshazzar was, was, saw the writing on the wall, um, he was called in as an old man then to come and try and interpret the writing on the wall. So he gained a reputation that lasted for his whole life. And so here is the challenge for each one of us. As we, as we live our lives um, daily, I believe we are being scrutinized by people around us. Your spouse... It's hard to say, but they look at you, I guess. Um, your children, your grandchildren. We just had a, a house full of people over Christmas. Uh, and, and I know that somehow, even in this short while that we had them in our home, that they, they observed, they saw certain things. We had a friend of Joan's school come to us. She now lives in the Netherlands. Uh, last year, out of the blue, uh, we had contact and she came for a week to come and visit us in Claymont. Uh, there's a whole background there. Her, her and her husband uh, got divorced. Her parents, when they were old people, got divorced. And lots of, of relationship issues in that whole family. One day she made a comment. She said, you two speak so nicely to each other. Um, it was like, that's surprising. And, and I, I thought, this is amazing. Just, just the way, and, and Joan and I didn't try to impress her at all, not even by one moment. But it was interesting that she observed us without us even knowing. And so friends and colleagues and family all watch us, and then the neighbors and the unsaved community around us, they're observing us, they, they're scrutinizing us, they, they want to know whether what we confess is actually working out and is worth the life that we live and that we claim to live. There is a fourth characteristic. Before I do, James chapter 3, verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. And in First Peter chapter 3, a verse that many of us know, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason of the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. We, we don't go barging into this world and tell them that they're all going to hell. We gain their respect by the way we live and by the way we talk to them. And so then, fourthly, um, and I've kind of alluded to this already. Daniel was so consistent, he showed a lifelong commitment. There is just a comment, and, and this is why I read verse 21. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. We know the date of that. It's 538. That is when Cyrus, the Persian, became king over that empire. The Babylonians fell to the Persians. And so Daniel stayed all those, all those years. If you do a bit of a calculation, it's 68, 69 years, maybe let's call it 70 years. 70 years in Babylon, 
in captivity as a foreigner living in that land, making an impact. And you see the impact when you read through the story of Daniel. His faith was challenged. The lion's den was there as a massive challenge. I, I'm not sure how many of us would have survived that uh, if we were put in a similar situation. It was not always easy, but Daniel endured through a lifetime of serving God. And that is a, that's a, a huge challenge for, for every single one of us, and that is to make that resolve, to come to that decision and, and, and resolve to serve God but to see it through to the end and not to waver in our faith. That's the challenge. There will be ups and downs, but the general direction of the devoted Christian is to give honor and glory to God. Even Jesus said, Matthew chapter 10, verse 22, you'll be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. There is that, that uh, um, command, that desire a director for us to stand firm in spite of the many challenges that we are facing. The last, uh, I want to, last characteristic of Daniel I want to highlight is the fact that he was dependent on God. Um, in verse 9, uh, we see how uh, it says that God had caused the official to show favor to Daniel. God had caused that. God was working in the lives of other people. Daniel knew that, and again and again, even when he had to interpret a dream for Nebuchadnezzar, he said, I, I don't know, I don't have that insight, but God has revealed it to me. And so again and again, you find Daniel pointing to God. So the purpose of living the life, the purpose of being consistent, the purpose of making that resolve of serving God, is not to impress other people around us, but it is to point people to God. And so in somehow, some way, people should look beyond us and see God, who he is. The challenge for us is to have a devotion to God that is a response to God's grace. So if I live for God, it's simply because God saved me because of God's grace. That's what we call grace. And in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, Paul says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. It is in the context of not necessarily having enough or maybe having enough by way of financial income or eat or whatever. And Paul is saying, I can do all things. I can face every situation because of who Christ is and what he has done in and through me. So when I look at our resolve, we learn from Daniel that faithfulness to God requires a basic commitment, a resolve to serve God regardless of the challenges, uh, the ESCOMs and the Ukraines and the, and the personal challenges that we all face daily. There are some practical ways I want to suggest that we can maybe go into this, this year, this relatively new year now. A commitment to worship. Worship is just another word for serving God. It's another word for acknowledging who God is. Worship is not just when we sing. Worship is what we are doing even right now. Worship is when we leave this church. Worship is when we serve God. So serving God is worship. And there are more special moments in worship, but generally speaking, worship is a resolve to be 
God's child and to serve God in everything that I do. A commitment to grow, that is to learn, to learn more about God, to mature and to be maturing, because we will never really end our maturity in this life. And then a commitment to listen. We do that mainly through the Word of God, Bible study, reading, listening to messages. Uh, this is where we hear God's voice. And so there's a commitment to continue to learn from God through His Word. There's a commitment to pray, because if I listen to God, then I respond to Him by, by talking to Him. The prayer is communication with God, trusting God enough to share my life with Him on a daily basis. And then a commitment to serve, and that is where the Christian community comes in. Uh, being here, being part of the church, being part of the community, this is where we serve, this is where we belong, and this is, this is the biblical way. There is no such a thing as a lonely or a lone Christian, a Christian on your own. Christianity includes being part of the community. It's the way God created us. So the question is, what is your resolve for this next year and for your life in the future? I find it interesting um, that we also have communion here this morning. It is by the wonderful grace of our Lord Jesus that he also gave us regular reminders of what he had come to do for us. So this is really what he has come to do for us. So the question is, how am I going to respond to that? So being part of the communion this morning is one response, but leaving the church, uh, the actual physical building here, and going out and living for him is really what we should be doing as a, res as a, re a result. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the wonderful example of Daniel and many others in Scripture. And I pray that you would continue to challenge us, each one of us, as we resolve to serve you, even in 2023. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.